God is good, amen? And the Lord is good to us. This morning, if you have your Bibles and like to follow along, there's only one verse really to follow along in, and that's the one we read just a moment ago in Psalm 81, verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. You know, this message is something that we all need to hear, each and every one of us. There's not a single person in this room for which this message would not be for, to use a double negative there, I suppose. But we all need this. Uh, this morning, some of you may have seen me walking in just moments ago. We were uh, woke up. Zachary's been sick for about a week. We had to take him in this morning, the doctor, and running some tests on him. I think he's going to be all right. But uh, I was sitting there wondering if I was going to get to preach this message. And uh, I was thinking, well... There's always Chuck Martin. He's always there. And I'd already called Chuck, said, Chuck, I may need you to step in and preach this morning. I don't know what's going on here. And uh, he said, that's fine. And Kim asked me, said, well, can Chuck do that? I said, of course Chuck can do that, right? I said, any preacher can preach on the drop of a hat. We always have something to say, right? Uh, and he, he's a preacher. So uh, we always have something to say. But it's in those moments when God gives us something to say that we have a fire in our bones, and uh, a pastor has that fire in his bones to preach. Chuck has that fire in his bone to preach. And I was telling Kim this morning, said, so God has, has put that in me. And I remember my uh, uh, mentor uh, who just helped uh, raise me in the ministry, Jimmy Nettles and his wife Patsy, told me one time, said, if God's called you, he's put a fire in your bones and you will not quit. But if he hasn't called you, you'll never stay in the ministry. You'll walk away from it quick. And that's the real truth. It really is. And as I was sitting there this morning, I had that fired. I was reminded of that. I had this desire, this passion to preach this message this morning. And I thank God that, that He has given me that opportunity to do that. Because this is a wonderful message of expectation. What are you expecting God to do in your life? You know, this is something that most all Christians today in the United States of America need to be asked. What are you expecting from God? Uh, because it seems so often we are blessed with so much that we expect very little because we depend on Him so, for, for so very little of the, of the uh, things in life that we think we provide for ourselves. In actuality, God is the one that gives us food, and God is the one that gives us water, and God's the one that gives us a home. We think we provide those things for ourselves. We do not see ourselves as dependent upon God for those things. We go to work, we make money, we purchase those things. We think we take care of these things. So much of the world, they are completely dependent upon God for these things in a way we do not understand. And it leaves us, quite frankly, in a place of weakened faith. In a place of weakened expectation when it comes to God. We don't see Him so readily involved in our life. And we begin to picture God as this great old man who sits on a throne who just sits there as a spectator as though he's at a football game watching things happen. And every once in a while, he may reach out and touch us and reach out and bless us and reach out and do something. But for the most part, he's just watching it all pass by. Could be nothing further from the truth. God is an active living God. He says that over and over and over again. And this psalm is such a special, wonderful uh, exhortation. That is, God is building us up with this word to help us to believe not only in His existence, but to believe in His character, to believe in His power, and to believe in His activity in our life, in our generation, in our own personal life, individually, in this generation, and every generation that is to come. God wants you to know that He is a living God. He is an active God. 
He loves you. He cares about you. He is interested in you. And just as he has done so many things in the past, demonstrating his character, his interest, and his power, he wants to do the same in your life personally. That's what God is telling you this morning. Psalm 81.10, he opens up. This is God speaking. He says, I am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. I've revealed myself to you. I'm the Lord your God who has done great things. And he mentions the greatest things. See, to all of the Israelites and all who would have read this passage of Scripture in worship, that's where the Psalms were used. They were, they were the hymn book of worship. And so they would have read this and sung this in worship. All of those who heard this understood that God's great high point of activity in their nation's life was in the Exodus up to this point. Every little boy memorized the stories in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They memorized those five books. We think we do good to memorize Jesus wept in John 3.16 when we're eight years old, but these boys were remembering whole books of the Old Testament, okay? Go try to memorize Leviticus for me, okay? These guys would do this. This is how they passed it down. There were no printing presses. There, was, there were no Bibles to hand out to people. They were passing it down verbally. They would memorize these things to the T. And so they knew every detail, every one of them, they knew every detail of what God had done in the Exodus and bringing them up out of Egypt. You see, in the cross, we were delivered from the power of sin. We were delivered from our guilt for our sin. We were delivered from death and we were delivered unto salvation. Uh, for this generation who read this verse originally in, in, in worship as they used the Psalms, they would have understood that they had been delivered from death and they had been delivered from slavery at the hands of the people of Egypt. And they knew how God had done that through the plagues and how he had shown his power and his hand through those things and showed the, showed the, the uh, Egyptians' gods to be false gods and God showed that he was powerful over those things, over the different various areas that the Egyptian gods, uh, uh, the people thought that he, they, those Egyptian gods had power over, whether it be frogs or lice or the lights, the, moon, the sun, whatever it might be, God exercised his authority and power over those things. They saw God move in each of those areas. They saw God move in the desert. Uh, he was a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They saw God part the Red Sea. They saw God defeat the entire Egyptian army, the most powerful army on earth, by closing that sea back up over them. See, those who read this verse would understand all of those details. It wasn't just that God brought us out of Egypt. God brought us out of Egypt by all, through all of these plagues, through being with us, showing us, guiding us, defeating the greatest army on earth. And then he walked with us in the desert. See, it wasn't finished just then when he defeated the army. God walked with them through that 40 years in the desert, providing them manna from heaven and all, heaven and all the things they had need of. And in the midst of this great deliverance, God demonstrated his great power, that he loved them intimately, completely, just overwhelmingly. And God showed not only his character, but his great power and ability to provide, and that he provided security, safety, and all of the things they had need for. So what God is saying here is, I want you to look back on your past, and I want you to see in the stories of the past my great character revealed to you. And I want you in those same stories to see my great power, unlimited power, that I have demonstrated in the past, showing what I'm capable of. That's what this first part of this passage is about. God demonstrating His character. God demonstrating His power. He wants us to do the same thing. You see, Advent is all about expectations. See, I, I, so much of the Old Testament after the 
the Exodus, they're looking forward to this birth in the manger. They're looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Many didn't understand it was going to be a birth in a manger, but they were looking for that, that coming. They were looking for that coming Messiah. That was their expectation. But even beyond that, in their own individual life, God wanted them to have great expectations for Him to show up in the details of their life. To show up in what was going on day after day after day of what seemingly would be mundane. You see, God wants us to look at all of history and see all of the great things He's done and see His great character and see His great power, yes. See that He's capable of doing things on a grand stage, but also that He is capable of doing things right in your life, individually, where you live, in your day, and in your time. I'm the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt. Trust me. You know, what, what, what do you believe about God? What do you really think? I was thinking about this some yesterday. You know, how much can we really know? I mean, when you really get down to it, we know very little about anything. I, I mean, if you really want to talk about what is real and you really want to get down to what we can honestly know, it's not very much. We know very little about God. We know very little about life. We know little, very little about our own existence even now. We know very little about the, the world in which we live, the physics of all of the uh, things around us and, and what makes things go. We're just scratching the tip of a giant iceberg. We don't even know how big it is. It's incomprehensible. We know so very, 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 very little. But God has revealed so much, hasn't he? He's revealed everything that we need to know. See, you don't have to know everything. You just need to know some things. I don't need to know how my truck works. I just need to know it turns on when I turn the key, right? I don't need to know all the workings inside. Back in the day, my grandfather and uncles and dad and some of them knew how a truck ran. Today, nobody knows how a truck runs, right? Nobody. Runs by computers as far as we know. I mean, it could be nuclear fusion in there. We would not know the difference between that. There's no carburetor. There's nothing in there. Nobody knows how to work on these things anymore. So we just turn the key, and that's what we need to know. There's power in the key. There's power in the key. And we don't understand everything about God, but we know there's power in God. And we know His great character that He's demonstrated to us. But what are you really, really believing about God? Are you trusting those stories? Are you trusting His revelation of Himself? Or are you making up your own little idea in your mind of who He might be? See, the content of our belief is very important. There's a fellow by the name of Jonathan Whitfield who was preaching to coal miners in England, and he asked one man a question, and he said, what do you believe? And the man said, well, I believe the same as the church. And what does the church believe, Whitfield asked? Well, they believe the same as me. Seeing he was getting nowhere, Whitfield said, and what is it that you both believe? The man answered, well, I suppose the same thing. And, you know, it's it's... Almost, it's absurd to, to hear that story. It's kind of funny and we chuckle, but, you know, how often have you really considered, what, what have you stopped to ponder and meditate upon lately on the subject of what you believe? What are you actually believing God for? What are you expecting from God? According to this passage of Scripture, what God wants us to do is to rehearse all of the events of the past, everything that He's revealed to us thus far. 
all of the events in Scripture, all of the ways that, that He's come through for us personally even. Look at all of the history. Look at all the ways He's revealed His character, all the ways He's revealed His power. That's what God wants us to rehearse so that it might build a reality in our life that we might have faith in Him and believe Him for great things in the present so that we might do what the rest of the Scripture says, and that is open our mouth wide and expect God to fill it. You know, you don't open your mouth wide unless you expect something good to come inside, right? All this entire week, I've been uh, practically forcing my son to take his medicine. Amoxicillin. You know, they flavor it bumblegum flavor now, and it's supposed to taste good. I wish they'd have had that when I was little, because we just had what we, back then, we just knew it as penicillin. Mom poured it in a spoon and said, come take this. It was pink back then, just like it is now. There was no bubblegum flavor to it whatsoever, right? Do you remember that? And, and so you would, you would, we would take this, this bubblegum and you would, uh, or this, this stuff that they now call bubblegum, you would take it and it would taste like you were ingesting something that you found in the garbage disposal or something. I mean, you couldn't even describe how bad it was. I try to tell him this now. It's like I, it's almost as if I'm telling him I walked to school in the snow, brother barefooted you know and, and it was it, it was awful you know i mean it's almost that kind of thing you know but i, I kind of feel that I, I was talking to him this week and i thought man I, I i sound like a cliche man i just sound you know son back in my day we didn't have bubble gum they didn't put flavors in these things you know i just took it and i just you know but it, when it comes time for him to take his medicine he is he wants no part of it no part of it whatsoever none and so you have to 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 just hold him down and give it to him how many remember doing that with your kids? Yeah, a few of you out there, right? There is no opening of the mouth wide, right? Because there is no expectation of anything good coming inside. See, this passage of Scripture indicates that you're expecting something good. Now, what do you expect from God? And what's that expectation based on? A lot of people expect nothing from God, as I mentioned a moment ago. Other people expect bad things from God. They say, well, if I trust God with my life and if I believe in Him, He may do something to grow me. He may stretch me. He may, he may bring something uncomfortable in my life. He may bring a thorn in my flesh. He may, you know, I may have to go be crucified, you know, uh, like Jesus was. I might lose my head. I might, what, what might happen to me if I totally, completely trust my life to Jesus and open my wild mouth wide and say, just give me what I got coming here. It's unfortunate, but true that a lot of folks have that kind of, uh, of idea and view of God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Even folks who have endured such terrible things have been given grace. And, you know, I was thinking about that, too, this week. And I think, I don't want to endure great things where I have to be given great grace for those things. I don't want that. I don't. You say, well, that's a very honest thing to say, Pastor. I was thinking that myself. Well, I'm right there with you, right? I'm right there with you. I don't want to go through any of those things. I, don't, I pray that I don't have to go through any of those things. But, you know... Do we trust God? Do we believe in God? Do we open our mouth wide, expecting good things from God, everything that we have need of? Some of you opened your mouth wide this week. One, two, three, four too many times, right? Good things came in. God's saying here, rehearse the past. Consider my character. Look at my power. Look at my abilities. Open your mouth wide with great expectation that I'm going to do good and great things in your life, in your generation. I think there are three mistakes that we make in our prayers. And I'm sure there are more than this, but there are three things that we often make mistake of doing when we go to God and we ask and we pray. One is is to ask for too little. To, 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 to have very small requests 
God wants to give us big things and we ask for small things. And I really do believe that there are times that God gives us big things anyway and gives us great blessing anyway. But I think oftentimes he withholds and, and doesn't give us things that he might otherwise give us had we just the faith to ask for them. Just believed him enough to ask him for something big. Ask him for great things. I think the second thing that we do is to ask for help in providing for ourselves. We still are depending on self. We're still limited by self in those circumstances. When you say, God, just help me to overcome, you know, what we really need to be asking is, God, just, just do this in me. Make me an overcomer. Make it happen in me. Make it happen through me. Do this in me and through me. I can't do it myself. I think a third thing is, is to ask only what you think is reasonable. Some folks have this big idea that God is a reasonable God. And, of course, he's not going to give me the same answers to my prayer that he gave Moses or Elijah or Peter or Paul. I'm just going to ask for the small things. I'm a small person, and that's what I'm going to get in this life, and we're just going to plod on through. But you're a child of the king. You're as much of an heir of the king as any of those people I just mentioned. And God intends and desires to give you the same kinds of blessing and the same amounts of blessing, and maybe even more so in your own life than he ever gave to anybody you've ever known before. But so often we think of God as a reasonable God. We think of ourselves as small and we ask for small, reasonable kinds of things. I read this quote and I think it's really sums it up quite well. Charles Spurgeon said, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not to believe at all. Believe this book of God, the Bible, every letter of it or else reject it. There's no logical standing there's no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing, nothing less than a faith that swims in the deep of divine revelation. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is better than a dry land faith. A little, I'm sorry, it is little better than a dry land faith and is not good for much. Believe it all or don't believe it all is what Spurgeon said. I think there's a good amount of wisdom in that statement. Believe. Trust. And follow. You know, God's invitation to you this morning is the same invitation that He gave to the children of Israel who read this passage of Scripture 3,000 years ago. You know, the book of Psalms was written about 900 to 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. We are now... 2015 years or so beyond that. So about 3,000 years ago, this passage of Scripture was written. And the invitation given to those folks in that day is the same invitation that God gives to every generation since and to every generation that may come after us. It's to believe that God can and will do great things in your life personally and in your day, your time, just as He did in the past. There's this great invitation that God gives to join Him in what He's doing in your generation. It's to, to join God in what He's doing around us as a church body, as a family, and as an individual. It's an invitation to look around you and see where God is at work and join in. Will you do it? Because see, if you're going to actually join in in what God is doing, you're going to become part of God-sized events and God-sized things. See, God-sized events and God-sized undertakings are beyond our comfort level, beyond ourself. 
beyond what we have the ability to do. It's going to make us uncomfortable at times. But see, even in the midst of our discomfort, we're going to be okay if we have great expectations of a God who has revealed himself as good and all-powerful. See, even in the midst of the risk, there's going to be a great sense of shalom, as we talked about last week, this great sense of peace and overwhelming peace because of the great expectation that we have of God. Look, I'm not just hoping that God is good. I expect God to be good because he's revealed himself as good. I don't just hope God to be capable of doing what I need and providing the things that I need. I know God is all powerful and I know God has the cattle on a thousand hills as one of the writers in the Old Testament said. He is endless in his resources. So of course he has the ability and has the the uh, resources that are needed for me to be a part of anything that he has called me to do. It's not just a hope that he can or will. It is an expectation that he can and that he will. Anywhere he is at work, anywhere he has called me to join in what he's doing, there's an expectation of his provision to get the job done. <coughs> you know, there is, there is no way for us to be a part of God-sized events unless we believe God is God and trust him to come through every time as the God he's revealed himself to be. It allows us to open our mouths wide with great expectation and be completely provided for in whatever it is that we need. The question is, will you do it? Some people just simply refuse to believe this word. Simply refuse to believe it for themselves. You know, when the first expeditions went to Australia, they saw something called a platypus. Never been seen before on earth. And when they went back to England and they began to describe that there was a mammal who lived part of the time in the water and part of the time on land and laid eggs and blah, 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 and went on down the descriptions of what this was about, they thought it was a made-up animal. They thought the folks who had gone on the expedition had made it up. So the next folks that went to Australia came back with a pelt. They had killed a platypus and brought back the skin of a platypus. People looked at that and thought, I still don't believe that it exists. I think you have created this. You've made this up, made this story up, and, and brought this back in some way, manufactured this pelt. There is no such thing as a man who lives in water and on land and lays eggs. They refuse to believe. Some folks, it, it really matters little how much evidence that you give them of God's goodness and God's power and God's ability to get things done. It matters not how many stories you can tell them about. I mean, you can go back and say, well, God provided for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace. They say, well, I'm not sure that story is true. You say, well, God provided for Daniel in the lion's den. They said, well... Uh, lions just weren't hungry that night. And you tell folks, that, well, God created everything that is. And they said, well, there was the Big Bang. And then you tell the folks, say, well, you know, God raised Lazarus from the dead four days after he died and he stunk in the tomb. They'll find some excuse for that. Or they'll say, well, I might believe that, but I'm not sure God would ever do that for me. I've never seen God raise any of my family from the dead. And I'm not uh, so certain about being in a lion's den. I don't want to test that one out myself or see anyone else I know do that. I'm just not sure God's going to do what he's done before for me in my life. And you know what? God so often doesn't do two things the same way. You know, I mean, he, he, he does new things all the time. I mean, we're not looking to be rescued from a fiery furnace just to test God that he'll do it for us the way he did for those men. God may rescue us from our own fiery furnace of sorts. He'll rescue us from something else, perhaps. But God is still in the business of rescue, still in the business of raising from the dead, still in the business of providing, maybe not manna, maybe something else. But he's still the God who provides. See, some folks just refuse to believe that God has called them to be a part of something beyond themselves and that God would provide for them the ability and the strengths and the resources to be a part of something beyond themselves. And so they limit their life by what they can do, what they can see, what they can know, what they can very readily and reasonably be a part of and comfortably partake in. 
without ever looking at the bigger picture. But God's invitation is to so much more. Advent is about expectation. We focus on the expectation of Christmas, the expectation of the coming baby in the manger. He's already come, hasn't he? I mean, the reality is we're not expecting him to be born. He's already been born, but we're reminded of that moment when the world was expecting the Messiah. We're reminded of when the world was looking forward to rather than behind to the manger scene. When God came, the word became flesh and he saved the world. What a big event that was. What a big event that God entered the world. The word word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What a magnificent thing that is. What a magnificent thing it was to expect that. What a magnificent thing it is that we now enjoy that. And what a magnificent thing it is to expect that same God to do things in our generation just like He did in that one. See, the the incarnation affects us. It's something that's still ours just as much as the Exodus was to these folks. The Exodus had happened hundreds of years before this passage was written. They looked back on that, and you talk to any Israelite in that day, and he would have talked as though it happened to himself. That's the way they talked about it. They didn't say, God rescued great-great-great-great-grandpa from and grandma from the Egyptians. No, they would say, God rescued me from the Egyptians, because they understood they would still be there themselves had God not rescued them. So we look at the incarnation, and we say, Jesus was born for me, just as much as he was born for anybody in Bethlehem that day, right? He was born for all of us became flesh to save all of us who would have faith in him. It's something personal. And God is still in the business of doing personal things today in us, in our life. Now, I want to close today in just a minute, but I want to close with just encouraging you and challenging you with something as you go. Life is so much bigger than any of us individually and personally. And what I mean by that is, is that you can't handle everything coming your way. And you can't handle all of the many wonderful things God wants to do in and through your life by your own resources and with your own resources and by your own power and your own smarts and your own good looks. Your, own, your, your good looks are only going to take you so far. And all that you can know will only take you so far. And all that you can accrue and, and gain yourself monetarily and financially as far as resources will only take you so far. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your last name is, whether it be Trump or anything else. It's The fact is, no matter how much money you have, how many lands you own, you're never going to have enough to do the things that are God-sized things because he's going to take you beyond that so he can get the glory for that. See, even the rich man has the opportunity to glorify God by joining with God in what he's doing, but God's going to take him beyond his riches to do so. And, and, I, and I want to challenge you today, and I want to ask you, where are you? What do you believe about God? What are you expecting from God? Is it personal for you? Are you expecting God to do great things in your life? Are you, are you expecting God to do big things in your life? Are you opening your mouth wide with great expectation of what is to come? The invitation is for you personally. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, I'm not sure that I understand and I'm not sure that I know God, then this morning the invitation is that you would enter into a relationship with Him. That you would receive Jesus and His cross, His sacrifice for the payment of your sins and give your life to Him. 
And if you are a believer this morning, the invitation to you is to start believing in the character and the power of your God and praying that you will have open eyes to where He's at work around you and that you will have big faith to step out and join in in what He's doing so your life can be big for the kingdom of God. God has created us as heirs. God has created us as His children. That means something. We are not His cast-off children. We are not His neglected children. We are His beloved. We are the apple of His eye. You are the apple of God's eye. You personally, me and all of us in this room and all those whom God created, all those who would place faith in Him are the apple of His eye. You need to understand that. You need to believe that. You need to believe the right things about your God. Trust the right things about your God. Believe in His power for your day and step out and join Him in what He's doing. So if you're a believer this morning, the invitation to you is to step out and join Him. And pray this morning, Lord, you are the God who brought us out of Egypt. You are the God who sent your son in the manger. And you are the God who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead three days later. You are the God who has revealed yourself to me and given me life and saved me. Lord, I open wide my mouth in this day in 2015 in this place. Me, James Heffington, the child of the king that you have made me. You have covered me in your grace. You have made me righteous. You have given me life, filled me with your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I am looking to you now with great expectation for what you're going to do in my life. I give my life to you to follow you and walk in you. Let's bow together.